0: Eight baseball games, all in the postseason. Today, as we uh, open up this week's episode of the show before the show podcast, it has been the lo- most loaded day of playoff baseball uh, in in anybody's memory ever. How have you enjoyed it? I'm I'm Tyler Mon. He's Sam Dystra. Sam, what's what's the day been like for you today?
1: No, it's been it's been really fun. Um, it's been really fun to see. Baseball, kind of take over the sporting world. Um, you know, as we're talking right now, the NBA Finals is playing, but like eight playoff games in one day. This has legitimately never happened uh, in a very, very fun way. And, and it feels a little bit like late September madness, I guess. What are they calling it? A fall frenzy? That's what they're, they're trying oh, yeah. to call it this year. Um, we, don't, we don't need to do that. We can choose not to call it the fall frenzy. But to, to have baseball supported this much is really fun. Um, I do hope it's a one-year thing you know, we'll see what comes in 2021 and 2022 and what happens in CBA negotiations, all that. Um, it is cool to have this much playoff baseball in in one sitting. It's still a little weird that we're talking about playoff teams that were below 500, um, and series getting decided in three games and the Minnesota twins, God bless them, um, getting bounced after only two games. And, and next year we're still going to have to talk about a, a playoff drought, a playoff winning drought for them, unfortunately, just because they lost back-to-back games, um, that part's unfortunate, but for one day to sit down, starting at noon here Eastern, um, and going all the way, potentially deep into the night, with with a full day of chock full of uh, postseason baseball was really neat. It made me nostalgic in a way that I'm sure our editor Tyler Darren Smith is going to yell at me if he ever hears this. Um, it reminded me a little bit of minor league postseason in that there's that first night of minor league playoffs where. Every game that's happening is mattering. We've got games from triple a all the way down to rookie ball. um, All of which we have to cover all of which we have somebody on Um, most normal minor league nights. If you can remember what those were like, uh, you know, there's close to 80 games a night. Some of which we can discard because not much happened. It's fine. Playoff games, everything matters. Everything counts. We're following everything to the letter, to the out. Um, That's what this reminded me of. And it made me a little bit nostalgic for uh, but you know, we'll we'll get that back soon enough. It's good to enjoy this while while it lasts. And where do you stand on this, Tyler? How do you feel about like a sixteen team major league postseason?
0: You know, if I'm being fully honest, I'm not the biggest fan of it. Um, I I think Major League Baseball's regular season is something that is supposed to flesh out greatness from mediocrity and the fact that the under 500 Milwaukee Brewers could take down the Los Angeles Dodgers who won over 40 game, 45 games, whatever they ended up winning uh, in the regular season. If you just, luck your way into a series victory in three games, you can take down the one seed. I'm not a huge fan of that, um, but it's also 2020 and nothing makes sense this year. So I've said this since the beginning, why not try something different and weird like this uh, in 2020? Now this, this playoff format will be back for 2021. Obviously we've heard it. The, the owners in Major League Baseball and the commissioner are very thrilled with it um, from a, a baseball standpoint, a financial standpoint. The players union would have to approve an expanded postseason field if, we're, if it were to go beyond 2021. So uh, it's not just as clear cut as, well, they, they want it to keep going, so it'll keep going. There are still uh, negotiations that would need to be um, had for that. But I will say days like today are extraordinarily fun having all of these games and, uh, and all of them carrying uh, an air of postseason ball to them. It's obviously not the same with no fans in attendance and everything. But, um, you know, let's get weird, man. It's 2020.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing is that um, you talk about the regular season. I think 162 games is one of the most beautiful things in all of sports. Uh, you know, a season that starts sometimes in March and goes all the way through to late September. Um, and those games matter and they build up to a, a very small tournament at the end of the best of the best is really special. We didn't get that this year. We only got 60 games in some cases, less than that uh, for teams to decide who's the best of the best. So it's already weird. Let's enjoy it as much as we can. Let's get yeah. as many teams into the pool as we can try to wring a little bit more enjoyment out of this. Um, what would have been a shortened baseball season, knock on wood, you know, I'm knocking on my kitchen table right now. Hopefully we get 162 game season next year. Um, and that would allow us to, have a shortened tournament again at the end uh, so we don't have maybe a 75 win team make the the postseason uh, and some really drawn out games at the end Uh, you know some competitive games for sure but trying to decide the eight seed between teams that aren't good is not fun let's let's be honest Uh, so fun for for this year and a year that not much fun has happened today is certainly fun in the micro sense Um, but if this is something we leave in 2020 i'll be totally okay with that
2: So with that, we welcome you into
0: this week's episode of The Show Before the Show. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. This is the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. we got a lot to get to this week. Uh, We'll be hearing from Benjamin Hill coming up in a little while. We'll hear from Gerard Gilberto coming up, uh, one of our writers at MILB.com as well. And uh, postseason now fully and firmly underway. We are basically all the way through two days of the postseason. We've got a couple games still to wrap up uh, here today on Wednesday. September 30th. Um, But we are going to discuss prospects who are set to make an impact in this uh, this postseason, this wild 2020 format with 16 teams having made it across major league baseball. So what Sam and I are going to do is we are each going to pick two position players, two pitchers, and then one swing guy who can be either one of those categories, a pitcher or a position player, uh, who will make an impact in this 2020 postseason. Now, Sam, are these guys who still retain their prospect status, or just guys who are rookies? Tell the good folks who, uh, who are tuned in.
1: That is a good point, Tyler, uh, and I'm glad we're clarifying this at the jump because I don't think I clarified this with you before we started. Um, this will be guys who are still ranked, guys who are okay, still good. holding their prospects. Okay, good, that's where I went with it. Good. So that's... Luis
0: Robert, for example, is not part of this
1: conversation. Perfect example.
0: Uh, yeah. A guy who came up and, and blew the doors off of Major League Baseball but graduated from prospect status.
1: Exactly. We can't – if the, the guys exceeded 130 uh, at-bats, 50 innings, 45 days of service – um actually we, sh- we can talk about that later as well um there will be no repeat rookie of the year we've teased that before um things change a little bit this year those days of service will count in september um those guys are off the board completely you have to still be ranked as a prospect uh, and at this point if you're still ranked uh you're going to be ranked going into 2021 too because playoff games don't count towards your at-bats innings pitch or days of service so uh these are just current prospects we can still call them minor leaguers i guess technically but realistically they're actually in the major leagues
0: so that's the the parameters two position players two pitchers and one either or and uh i have a feeling that we may have some crossover in this but sam uh let's let's hear your list
1: well are we doing this as a draft or are we doing oh,
0: okay we can do it that way too let's let's do it then who gets that's first what i was pick? thinking
1: yeah i'll give you first pick tyler because okay This is an an idea in a format that I sprung on you. Um, So I'll I'll give you the floor, but then we're going to snake it. I'll get picks two and three. Okay. I'll get picks four and five, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Um, Then I am going with the first selection in this draft with tomorrow's Thursday's starting pitcher for – You're my and our Miami Marlins, Sixto Sanchez, who has uh, been ridiculous since getting promoted to the major league level and uh, still a a ranked guy, top 100 guy, top uh, prospect in the Marlins system and is right now. I mean, if any team has the well, it's 2020 and everything's weird. So why wouldn't they win the World Series? It's got to be the Marlins, right? That team was obliterated by an outbreak for a while. They still make the postseason. They win their first playoff game at Wrigley Field today, and tomorrow they've got their basically their ace uh, headed into try to clinch a wild card series win. I'm going with
1: 6-0. Yeah, and, and the thing about the Marlins is they've never lost a, a playoff series. Yeah. Technically never, true.
0: Literally never. 1997 and 2003 swept all the way through and won the World Series twice and did it as a wild card each time.
1: Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, that would be the craziest outcome is the Marlins winning the world series, but you yeah. know what? It's 2020. Let's have some crazy outcomes.
0: Let's get yeah. weird.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So six O Sanchez is off the board. I'm going to go with my number one pick. He was actually my pick for NL rookie of the year at the beginning of the year did not work out because he got off to a really slow start, but Dylan Carlson has really turned ah! around yep. um, since he got called back up. They sent him back down, uh, the Cardinals did. They had, they've had some outfield trouble. They thought Dylan Carlson would be the solution. We all thought that would be the case. Uh, didn't work out the first couple of days, sent him back down in early September, brought him back. I think September 18th, he's been dominant down the stretch. I think he's got a slugging percentage above 600 really started to turn things around. And this is a little bit of cheating, but th- today, as we're speaking here, uh, he helped the, the Cardinals win seven, four, against the upstart San Diego Padres, somebody a lot of teams really like. And they started him at the uh, cleanup spot. They used him as protection for Paul Goldschmidt between him and Yadier Molina, uh, two of the better players in the Cardinals lineup. So that's how much they believe in how hot his bat is right now. He reached in four of his five plate appearances. He had a double and a single and two walks. Uh, Carlson is going to impact the ball that way. He's capable of playing all three outfield spots. He got the start in left field now, but if they're trusting him enough to be the cleanup hitter right away uh, in the postseason, that tells you the way he ended the season and just how talented he is and what his ceiling could be because he can hit for average. He can hit for power. He's got a little speed, a little bit of speed in there as well, and he's a good defender. Um, so Dylan Carlson, my first pick, and he'll be my first position player. My second, I guess I have to go pitcher. Because if you're going to take six though, then you could just build like a great rotation and leave yeah. me flapping in the breeze. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to go with another person who's starting in game two of his series. Uh, Ian Anderson. Okay. Ian Anderson did not expect this. We expected him to be good coming up. He was a former first round pick. Um,
0: Sam. Dykstra at braves.com.
1: Yes. The, the meme continues. <laughs> I, the, the The trouble is I don't think of these until I say them. And then you say them and it makes me look worse. Listen, Ian Anderson, the number 34 overall prospect in baseball right now, had an ERA below two in six games. It's only six games, but they were six very strong starts struck out 41 batters and 32 in the third innings. Uh, His stuff is obviously playing in that Atlanta rotation already. He's got a good fastball. He's got an above average curve and above average changeup not a lot of spin rate, but he's always made that work really well because he's throwing from a fairly high slot six foot three. Um, But Ian Anderson was a stabilizing force for the Atlanta rotation. They had some real struggles there for a while, guys getting hurt, um, guys just being generally ineffective. Max Reed was looking like an ace and a Cy Young contender, and he still might be given the way he ended the year, but uh, he had some injuries down the stretch. It was who who is going to be our big starter in September. That tr- turned out to be Ian Anderson. Obviously, tr- they trust him enough now to give him a game-two start that they could use now to – you know, potentially shut down the Reds and make this a two-game sweep. Um, if it, if the Braves go into deeper rounds, which they very well could, uh, he'll continue to get a lot of starts. He could get two starts in a best-of-seven for all we know. So Ian Anderson has the stuff to play right now. He's got the results. He's got the trust of his staff. Uh, Ian Anderson's my first pitcher off the board.
0: Here's a a pick that is not going to be – you know, we are in an era of baseball uh, in which the three true outcomes are so in vogue with everything hitting-wise with uh, uh, strikeouts and walks and home runs. And I am kind of going to go on the other side of that on the offensive equation. But a guy who I feel like is well-suited for postseason baseball, especially in 2020 because he's so different from that mold, is the Chicago White Sox' Nick Madrigal. Um, and I know he had a a tough defensive play today, uh, that opened the door early for the A's to, to score some runs, uh, on the way to their game two win. They'll go to a decisive game three tomorrow, but Nick magical, I mean, his bat to ball skill is unlike basically anybody else's in the game. And in October, uh, starting tomorrow, Dane cook voice, there's only one, um, Nobody. And does anybody remember those in 2007 postseason commercials? The, maybe the worst in Major League history? Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm
1: supposed to be the person reacting There's on only behalf one of the
0: October. Um, Nick Magical, I just feel like, is in a position where if you're up and it's first and third and it's the sixth inning and you need a line drive to break a tie and you're in the bottom of the order wherever you are, wherever he gets a start from night to night, there are m- few guys that I would rather have at the plate in a spot where you just need a hit than Nick Madrigal. And those spots are so heightened in Major League Baseball uh, in the postseason. And uh, I don't know. I, I've just got a feeling that Nick Madrigal does something in the if, in this playoff run if the White Sox make it past tomorrow.
1: And especially in this age in which we live, I mean, he's actually a very, very good two-strike hitter. This yeah. isn't somebody yeah. who just gets to two strikes and you know, puts the ball in play and doesn't strike out, but it's, it's a meager out. Like he keeps the strikeout slow, but everything else, like he gets a lot of hits with two strikes. And like you said, there's going to be a lot of big moments in this, uh, in these playoffs. And a lot of those are going to come down to two strikes and that's pressure packed moment. If you have somebody who can rely on a routine rely on an approach, Nick Madrigal is that guy. Um, So that, that'll work pretty well. Even, you know, hopefully he's moved on beyond the defensive miscues he had today, but, um, yeah, there's every reason why he's starting second baseman for the White Sox at a time when they're really going to be going for it, this, these playoffs. Oh, oh, I have an next. Oh, pick. good. That's fantastic,
0: because I'm going to go with his teammate, Garrett Crochet, who's been absurd, oh, and I knew I on. was going to steal from you uh, if I took him. Oh, uh, but Garrett, uh, first round draft selection out of the University of Tennessee, does not even see a minor league field. Gets to make the jump onto a major league roster and uh just be ridiculous in his debut season. Uh, that this is the time of year for guys like that who can sling a million miles an hour and uh and get big outs in the playoffs. I'm grabbing him,
1: that's not fair because I was gonna, he, I felt like he he would be the perfect flex as if I could like sneak him yeah,
0: past no, uh, out. uh
1: two guys on a secret right? On a prospects <laughs> podcast. Um, but oh, he would have been so good all right fine um, so I'm gonna go with my next pick somebody who again this is kind of cheating because we're we do this podcast it comes out normally Thursdays and Fridays we're trying to stick to that schedule and that means we're a little bit behind on, on postseason games but somebody who's already been a good performer in the playoffs is Randy Arizona yeah. of the Tampa Bay Rays two reasons why I'm picking Arizona one the whole point of this draft is to have guys who make postseason impact. And in order to make an impact, your team needs to be in it for long, for a long time. The Tampa Bay Rays—they've already clinched um, over the, the Toronto Blue Jays. They swept that series pretty easily. They're also the number one seed. They're also very talented. Uh, and er- Arizona has been right in the thick of that lineup. Um, didn't start the year with the club. They actually called him up the same day they traded Jose Martinez to the Cubs. They kind of cleared a spot in the outfield for him. Uh, But what he's been able to do since getting called up has been really special. He showed more power than I think any of us expected. He had seven home runs um, after getting called up, uh, slugging 600, does a lot of things really well. He's an above average runner. He's an above average fielder uh, at a, a time when the Rays have a lot of really good athletic outfielders, um, but Austin Meadows has heard he hasn't been playing. They plugged in Arizona to that number three spot. Again, they trust him to be the heart of the lineup, and he's really come through here in that two-game series against Toronto. We'll see what happens when they move, uh, I think, to California and you know, face a, a little bit more tougher rotation and a tougher pitching staff, but Arizona does all these things pretty well. There's a lot of 55s, a lot of 60s on his scouting sheet. And you know the Tampa Bay Rays and Kevin Cash are going to get the most out of his skill set and put him in a place to succeed. So he's my second uh, position player after Dylan Carlson. The next one I'll take is Dane Dunning. I will stick with the White Sox pitcher. If you're going to take a White Sox pitcher, I'm going to take a White Sox pitcher. This has still not been announced yet. By the time you hear this, you might know better than we do. Um, But Dane Dunning put himself in a position to be the Game 3 starter for the White Sox. Um, You heard us talk to Chris Getz about this a couple weeks ago and and what Dunning has put in since he missed all of last year with Tommy John surgery. Um, If he was going to pitch next in a game that mattered, it was going to have to be in the major leagues. He's been a really, really strong starter uh, for the White Sox in kind of a surprising way coming off of surgery like that. When MLB.com redid their their rankings, they moved him into number 98 after some graduations. Um, Again, 55s across the board for him for fastball, curveball, slider and change-up. His control is typically pretty good, and he's shown that at times this year in the majors as well. Seven starts, 397 ERA. I know that's not crazy, but he's holding batters to an average below 200. Um, Major League batters were much more experienced have just found it difficult to get hits off this guy. Um, so he j- kind of jumps over Dylan Cease. We'll see what the White Sox do. They still said they haven't decided what they're going to do for game three. Um, But it's very clear that they thought enough of Dunning to give him seven starts during the season. I think he's probably going to get a game three start. He's going to get a start at some point, especially if they advance and go to an LDS or even an LCS in deeper series. Um, So I I like Dunning's chances of impacting a series somehow. Um, So he's, he's next off the board for me.
0: All right. My last two. Um, There are a couple guys who I had looked at and evaluated and I had sent my scouts to, to see and, and come back and report, but uh, they, they're not in the conversation anymore because they've been eliminated. So Nate Pearson, <laughs> I was, I was thinking Nate Pearson, maybe um, of the Toronto Blue Jays, his team's done. Um, also a guy who would have been, had we recorded this yesterday and there was still time in his playoff role uh, would have been a, a fascinating pick is Alex Kirillov of the Minnesota mm. twins who made his major league debut and got a hit in his first major league game in the playoffs, which had never been done before. Um but since those guys are out of it, the position player group is a little bit thinner beyond uh, the the top heavy first few. And I know that this guy is not a starter as of right now, but I, it just feels like we've been waiting on jazz Chisholm to do big things for so long that maybe it's still early for us to expect those things from him. But if the Marlins need him in a spot. Defensively, you know he's going to be great. Uh, offensively, he struggled to put the bat on the ball a little bit in his, his rookie season. But uh, Jess Chisholm just seems like a guy who still can make things happen um, for a Marlins team that feels has to feel like it's playing with house money at this stage. Um, and then for my final selection, I am going to the pitching side. We're going to be a pitching-heavy team because you can tell that being born and raised in Denver has made me – Feel like I have to load up on pitching talent, uh, and it'll still not work out for me. Um, Tristan Riley McKenzie, <laughs> Tristan Pike. McKenzie of uh, of the the old Cleveland the tribe there. Uh, Tristan McKenzie came up was fantastic uh, as a starter. Missed a lot of time uh, in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. He is it looks like gonna work just out of the bullpen for Cleveland, um, but that's a guy who he's electric and they've got arms, I mean, all over the place. Even, you know, you trade away somebody like Mike Clevenger and you've still got guys who are coming up and graduating, doing things like James Karen, has done this year. And, uh, interest McKenzie is a, another guy who I feel like could make a, an impact if the tribe can stay in it past tonight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that's going to go. Um, yeah. So for my, I guess I have the final pick cause you have five players and I need I five. So if I can't get Garrett Crochet as my flex, you can't because I took I him. I know it wasn't, <laughs> it was just a bad strategy. I should have taken him early. Um, but I'm gonna go kind of in a similar direction. I'm gonna take Shane McClanahan, okay, of the Tampa Bay Rays. Shane McClanahan, kind of in a similar boat as Crochet, never pitched in the majors before. Um, Crochet at least had done that, but M- McClanahan, a former first round pick, again going back two years, they Tampa Bay Rays took him out of. University of South Florida. So he's kind of a local guy. Pitched at three levels uh, last year, showed a really good fastball, pretty good slider. Basically the two pitches you need to be a, a quality reliever. Um, they did not call him up during the regular season, but they kind of in a shocking move decided to add him to the wildcard series roster. Uh, and again, I think the Rays don't do that unless they have plans to use them. They didn't use them against Toronto. That's fine. But as you get into these deeper series, you're going to need to rely on some guys. Are they going to use him in a way like the White Sox use crochet, which is one inning at a time? Do they use him as maybe a long man? We know the Rays love to do you know, openers and then a long guy, something like that. We'll see how that's going to work out. But um, McClanahan has the stuff to, to work against major leaguers. And if he's going in shorter stints, that velocity is only going to play up. Uh, He's typically thrown in the mid-90s. Maybe there's a little bit extra in the tank. Obviously, he showed enough at the alternate training site to earn this move. Um, So kind of a a sleeper a little bit just because we haven't seen him on the major league level yet. But if they're going to have him taking up a a roster spot, they're going to use him at some point. And we know the Rays are really good at player evaluation. So they see something in him that makes them think he can do this on the big stage. Uh, and the Rays are going for their first World Series title. Again, I I have them winning the American League. I know that's not really a hot take for the number one seed, but I think they have the talent, the managerial skills, the you know, diversity of talent uh, to put together a, a postseason run at a time when things are kind of weird. I wish we could have taken like a Dodgers prospect. Kieber Ruiz was on the board, uh, but – The Dodgers, just as one would expect of a very good major league team, aren't really loaded with prospects right now. At least guys with still prospect status remaining. Dustin Mays graduated. Mm -hmm. Tony Gonsolin's graduated. Um, So staying away from the favorites in the NL. But I think the AL, the Rays, again, they know how to use their young pieces. They trust these guys in big spots. And I think we could see them reap the rewards here in the coming days and weeks. So
0: there are our teams, and you can uh, put them together and not really do much because there's only five guys each, so you
1: couldn't play baseball.
0: But still, uh, two groups of five intriguing players. And, Should we
1: uh, run through them real quick? Yeah, go for it. All right, so Tyler, you have Sixto Sanchez, Nick Madrigal, Garrett Crochet, Jazz Chisholm, and Tristan McKenzie. Yep. I have Dylan Carlson, Ian Anderson, Dane Dunning, Randy Arizarena, and Shane McClanahan.
0: I like them. I like those groups. You would have like told those. me five years ago that we were going to be drafting a lot of Marlins uh, and White Sox. <laughs> well, the White Sox five years ago, we probably would have believed. But if you would have taken us back to 2015 and said, you're going you're gonna to be in love with what the Marlins have going on. What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that.
1: What about even mid-August 2020?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably about right, too. Um, But a uh, fun group, both of them. Um, so with that, we will uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, a news item that came this week uh, in the relationship between Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, and what is now uh, an entirely different type of baseball. To quote from a press release yesterday, September 29th, quote, Major League Baseball and USA Baseball jointly announced today a new format for the Appalachian League, which will feature the nation's top rising college freshmen and sophomores in wood bat play each summer. The new format affirms MLB's commitment to the region, maintains the existing branding in the league, and assures that the Appalachian League will continue to host high caliber baseball and future major leaguers for years to come. The Appalachian League will become a part of the Prospect Development Pipeline, the collaborative effort between MLB and USA Baseball that establishes a player development pathway for amateur baseball players in the United States and will be an integral part of the identification and development process for the USA Baseball Collegiate National Team and other future national teams. So what this is saying, I actually have a buddy who worked in minor league baseball and I sent him this release and uh, he's been out of minor league baseball for about 10 years, but he said, I can't really wrap my mind around this. What, what is this saying exactly? So let me try to break it down. The Appy League, which was formerly – a, a rookie level league under the umbrella of minor league baseball, uh, in which teams from their respective major league organizations would go to each of these towns. If you were a Blue Jays prospect, you could go to Blue Field. If you were a Royals prospect, you can go to Burlington. Um, those players now will not go to the Appy League. Uh, rookie ball, as we know, there's the Gulf Coast League, there's the Arizona League, there are other things to be sorted out at the rookie level. The Appy League will now be. Essentially, similar to the Cape Cod League. That's something that basically every baseball fan has heard of. The Appie League will be something similar to that. A wood bat league to showcase collegiate prospects, freshmen and sophomores only. Uh, who will play every summer and will get a chance to be uh, essentially in a pro ball circumstance situation while not yet playing pro ball. So there are other collegiate summer leagues across the country. There's the coastal Plains league, uh, the, the Northwoods league. There are these other leagues that uh, have sort of filled this, this area for a while, but major league baseball now in partnership with USA baseball is bringing this under that umbrella. I think, and you and I have talked, off uh, air, which is always a weird thing to say about a podcast. We've talked off record button um, (laughs) (laughs) about what could be coming with the the one baseball plan and with things like this. And uh, it's been, obviously there are still so many things to be hashed out between major league baseball, minor league baseball, but movements like this, I'm really excited about, like, I think this is a tremendous move for the Appy league. Um, It's obviously going to be different, uh, but to the, the casual baseball fan who shows up to a game in Danville, Virginia, because they want the experience of being at the ballpark and good concessions and a night out with their family and maybe some fireworks and stuff like that. This is largely going to be a very similar product. Um, you'll just be watching collegiate players instead of guys who are usually around that exact same age who are signed by major league organizations. So this is, is going to be very different in terms of the mechanics of how the rosters are filled and that type of thing. But uh, this, this feels like it's a breath of a different kind of life for the Happy League, and, and I think it's exciting.
1: Yeah, I mean, the big thing here is that baseball is going to stay in those communities. Right. Um, it's going to have a very similar schedule. I think it's 54 games um, through the summer. Um, you know, the one thing that that's hanging over here is that, uh, as we're talking, the PBA uh, is up on September 30th. There's going to be some things that are going to be different about minor league baseball. As we've always said on the show, we're going to be discussing those when they happen, when announcements, when announcements come, the Appy league was an announcement. There was representatives major league baseball, USA baseball, uh, the Appy league itself on a call this week. Um, that I that I joined and everybody seemed excited about this opportunity Um, you know what's coming to the Appalachian League Uh, they claim that they're going to be able to get premier college talent Um, a lot of this since USA baseball is involved and as you said Tyler uh, they are in charge of who gets to be on the national team the national collegiate team the future teams like going to the Olympics or potentially even Tyler you know this better than I do are they involved in the WBC selection or no
0: yeah, um, so that's what's going to be so interesting about this is USA Baseball is, for those unfamiliar, each country that, that plays, I mean, any sport, has a national governing body for that sport. Uh, USA Baseball, the national governing body for the sport of baseball, yeah, they fill all the rosters. So the World Baseball Classic, uh, Premier 12, which was the, the top international competition last year, uh, and then the youth level uh, or amateur level uh, in certain circumstances – um, age groups. so there's a, a u23 baseball world cup the usa baseball actually doesn't participate in and then there's u18 u15 and u12 usa baseball also uh fields a collegiate national team every year which is full of we've talked to a lot of guys on the podcast who've been part of the collegiate national team um and those guys are generally just a, a roster that plays exhibition games they'll play against teams from cuba or japan or chinese taipei what have you um, so this will be under that umbrella as well. What it helps USA Baseball do is expand out its ability to identify players for those future pathways rather than just, oh, well, here's a, a week-long camp in Florida or Arizona or at the USA Baseball facility in, in Cary, North Carolina. This will expand the the ability for them to catch so many good players in that net far beyond what they've already got.
1: Yeah, and the, it's, it's going to be kind of like a different – type of player that you're going to see there. Um, it, you know, As Tyler mentioned, the Abbey League is kind of what it, the old version of it um, was a chance to see prospects, usually on the very young side, get their first chances away from the complex, away from the GCL, the AZL, or the, even the DSL if they kick them straight from the complex in the Dominican. Um, and now it's going to be college guys. And somebody who, like myself, who grew up going to Cape League games, um, it was really exciting to go to Cape League games because you knew a lot of those guys were going to make it to pro ball and a lot of them were going to make it to the majors. Now, how talent's going to work here and adding a big league like this to the college woodbat, you know, summer landscape, how is that going to affect, affect the Cape League? Um, you know, some of the other ones that are involved here, that's still yet to be seen. Um, but I think USA Baseball having such a heavy hand in this major league baseball being involved in the partnership means that good quality talent, you know, apparently uh, the coach of Vanderbilt, Tim Corbin is involved in the steering committee of this. Um, So, you know, some of his players are going to go there uh, to the Appy league. Uh, One exciting thing about this as well for people in those communities is that now these teams won't be named after their parent clubs. You won't have the Danville Braves anymore. You'll have the Danville, something that means something to people from Danville. Uh, the rebrands here are going to be tremendous. We might not talk about them th- that much anymore because it, they're not technically under the minor league umbrella. Um, but for people in that area, getting a new hat that has something that actually reflects your your region instead of the parent club who's down in Atlanta um, is is certainly exciting. So there's a lot of opportunities here. Um, personally, yes, it is sad knowing who used to come through the athlete league. Wander Franco played there, Vlad Jr. played there, Jose Altuve played there. Um, but given what's coming and given what's still going to be in those communities, the baseball, that's going to be there, the high quality baseball. Um, it's it's an exciting chance, something new, something fresh. Uh, and hopefully, you know, it lives up to its potential here in the coming years in those happy league towns.
0: Also uh friend of the podcast, Todd Radom designed that appy league logo and we had him on the show to talk about that he also did the southern league logo the same uh off season i'm wondering if todd is going to be doing some of these team designs
1: because that's what
0: i'm excited about
1: i mean it it could be a choose-your-fighter situation between could be. Todd, Todd Radom and Brandeos. Him, O's. Studio
0: Simon, Brandeos, uh, who I almost called Plan B, which they haven't been called for like 12 years. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, this is going to be – if you're excited about new logos and uniforms and stuff, the Happy League, keep your eye on the Happy League because that's going to be – that'll be a lot of fun. I'm yeah. pumped about that. Um, so that's the big news item. Sam did refer, uh, the, the PBA, the professional baseball agreement that governs the relationship between major league baseball, and minor league baseball technically does, uh, expire today. We're recording this September 30th, which I think I have already said like five times and we'll say like five more times, uh, through the show we're recording on September 30th. Not sure if any of you know, um, but the, uh, the agreement does technically expire today. There was a, a statement out today that negotiations are ongoing. Um, obviously news that we get, we will pass along to you and we'll we'll share uh, the insight that we have or the thought process that we have through things, uh, but nothing as of yet, but don't think that we're shutting you out. We're keeping you updated, don't you? Yeah,
1: worry. right. Yeah, a lot of people or in my mentions and, and Ben's mentions asking, well, is this it? Like, is the happy league only, ch- the only change? Um, it's the only one that's announced. It's the only one we can yeah. talk to you guys about firmly. We want to bring you the accurate information about what's happening. Um, so, you know, as reports come out about other uh, clubs and other leagues and what they will look like in 2021 and beyond, we're going to talk about that. I think it might be one of our busiest off seasons on the podcast. Yeah. Talking about all that stuff and, and how things are going to look in, in the weeks and uh, months to come. But, um, yeah, this is, this is one of the big first moves. And, um, like we said, pretty exciting for the Appy league and, and what's going to come to those towns. And hopefully it, it follows through on that excitement. So with that, we'll wrap up our introductory segment of this week's episode of
0: the show before the show.
3: This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, before it's too late and catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com.
1: Well, we are joined again this week uh, by Ben Hill in what's kind of a big week for Ben. Um, ben, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing?
4: Hey, I'm doing well. It's interesting just to talk to you and not Tyler. So um, now we can uh, have a secret gossip session about Tyler, right? That's I know. that.
1: Yeah, the uh, the show before the show before the show uh, was especially <laughs> spicy this week. And Tyler, unless he wants to, like I've always said, pay my entire year's salary, uh, he can't find out what we said about him. So that's on him. Um but yeah we'll get to why this is a big week for you we'll talk about the innovator summit here in a minute but we just talked about this in the last segment when it was Tyler and me um about the changes coming to the Appalachian League uh for the 2021 season becoming a collegiate wood bat league um Ben just quickly what was your reaction to that and uh, what are your thoughts about the changes that are coming to the Appie league?
4: Um I think like a lot of things uh in the world of baseball right now and just in the world at large like you You can look at it from from two different sides and kind of balance those emotions. I mean, part of me is, yes, the Appy League is a league with a long history, a long affiliated history. And, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to visit every stadium, you know, in the league and just really enjoyed, you know, how rustic and, and um, no frills it is and just a really, really unique way to experience professional baseball. So I'm sad to see that affiliated, you know, history end for sure. But, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about the league going forward. And I think one thing we knew, no matter what heading into 2021 that the api league wouldn't exist in its current form um, you know it's a unique league in the you know that all the teams are already owned by the major league affiliate and then in most cases they're independently operated in the local community but it's a it's it's not technically affiliation agreements so it's not beholden to the same structure as the rest of the you know professional baseball agreement so we knew the api league was going to change So that's where I feel actually really positive right now. We knew the Appy League in 2021 and beyond was not going to be what it had been. And what we do have is all 10 uh, teams or all 10 communities retaining what should still be pretty high-level baseball. I mean, it's all relative. It's not affiliated. They're still collegiate. But these are going to be highly touted players. And, um, you know, I think some fans will obviously be upset at the loss of affiliation. But I think when you crunch the numbers in, in years from now, you might see more future major leaguers. Uh, playing in this new collegiate Woodbat Appy League than you did in uh, the affiliated Appy League because it's a low level of affiliated ball and a lot of players uh, don't get much further than the Appy League itself. Um, so it's yeah, it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot to digest, but all ten communities continuing to host baseball, all of them now able to shed the name of a major league team and rebrand specific to their community. I mean that's kind of fun. Uh, ten new team names um, that are going to come out of these Appy League markets and uh, baseball will will persist and hopefully thrive. And so, you know, if we're gonna sort it all out, the positives, the negatives, the pros and cons, I'm just happy that baseball will still exist there. And I am positive about the future and um, the feedback I've gotten so far in and looking at, you know, the the politicians who maybe would have had an issue if the Appy League was lost, they seem to be saying like, you know, we're glad of this current form. And uh, more importantly, the operators seem to have um, a positive view of the league going forward. So let's be positive and just be happy for the Appy League. And I'm looking forward to hopefully visiting it again in this new form sometime soon.
1: And just quickly, as somebody, like you said, who has traveled all over the Appy League and got to experience it firsthand, um, you know, one of the most exciting things about that is the rebrand opportunities, most of which we won't cover anymore. But um, as somebody who has experienced both with the Appy League and rebrand opportunities, what's one name maybe you're really hoping to see? in a Pulaski or a Burlington or a Greenville?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. I hadn't thought, thought too much about it. Um, an obvious one that maybe I don't have like a super fond attachment to, but I know there's going to be a lot of agitation for Johnson city uh, to become the wagon wheels. I know the wagon, you know, wagon wheel theme jerseys, um, but, you know, full-time name change to Wagon Wheels, I think, is one we could see. You know, I've always been a big fan of uh, the Princeton Rays mascot, Roscoe the Rooster, who talks and is a, um, also an amateur on the local wrestling circuit. Uh, so I'd love to see some rebranding around a talking wrestling rooster. I just feel that's uh, pretty ripe as well. So those are two that, that I'd like to see. And, yeah, going forward, I mean, it's the Appy League, though, will not be, quote-unquote, minor league baseball or affiliated ball. You know, Is that something now in our purview going forward in terms of something we explicitly cover? Questions abound.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I'm kicking myself that I didn't immediately think of Johnson City Wagon Wheels um, or maybe just the, the medicine show or Old Crows or something. like. There's so many possibilities there for Johnson City. Maybe just Wagoneers, but they'll make it work. Uh, all right, Ben, we'll, we'll pivot now to the Innovator Summit, which every year is something we usually talk to you on location. Uh, Wherever the Innovator Summit is, it used to be called the Promo Seminar, now it's changed uh, names, but like everything else in 2020, it's changed location uh, for this year, meaning it's gone fully digital. You got to participate in that this year. Uh, Before we get into what you were doing specifically, just take us through the changes for the Innovator Summit and how it kind of worked in the digital space this year.
4: Yeah, I mean, the the Innovator Summit, formerly formerly the Promo Seminar, has been happening in Different forms, but for decades, going back all the way to when it was founded in El Paso by legendary executive Jim Paul. But, um, you know, it always involved people who work in minor league baseball going to the host site, and it's, you know, three days of idea sharing. Obviously, this year, uh, things are a lot different on a lot of levels, but most importantly, you know, uh, still in a pandemic, people still not comfortable with, uh, you know, indoor gatherings and travel. It was very clear we were not going to have a quote unquote, you know, usual. Uh, Innovator Summit. So this year, it was just two days. It took place on the September 29th and 30th, Tuesday and Wednesday, and uh, it was entirely virtual. So it was was a strange thing to adjust to. You know, I've been um, attending iterations of this event uh, going back to 2008 since 2013. You know, I've uh, been a speaker at it. And, you know, you get in the same rhythms of going to a host city, it's a, a host minor league city and, uh, you know, seeing people in the industry and establishing connections, meeting new people, um, you know, jumping all around a big hotel from, you know, conference room to conference room, to ballroom, you know, to symposiums and idea sharing sessions and main ballroom presentations. And um, You know, so it's strange to see that all in the virtual realm where, you know, you would log in and uh, watch it on a screen. And some of the presentations were pre-recorded, some were live. It was hosted by Dan Magala, who now works in a kind of consulting realm in the sports industry, Uh, but he's been in the industry for a long time. And he was actually the host of some of the first uh, events I ever went to uh, promo seminars back in like 2008, 2009. So he was back as the host, I think based in Chicago, people were all over the country. And one good thing about it is obviously it costs money to travel someplace and stay in a hotel for a few days. So the attendance was actually much larger this year because it was a free event to attend for anyone who works or had been working before being, you know, furloughed or laid off for a minor league team. Um, so where in the past teams could only limit the number of people who attended, you know, to two, three, or four based on expenses, um, now you could have anyone who in the industry attend and, and take part in these two days of all sorts of symposiums and presentations and idea sharing and what have you. So um, even though it you know, we, it, it, I think we all missed the chance to actually be in person and network that way, which is just more valuable on the uh, upside, you know there was just a lot more, it was a lot more inclusive because that many more people could quote unquote attend. Uh, there were no longer economic barriers and the barriers of having to travel to a specific site.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a positive take from this. And one thing that is a feature every year at the Innovator Summit, uh, you talked about it, a lot of people who are giving presentations. You are one of them. Um, you get to give presentations usually on your travels, and that's obviously something you weren't able to do this year. But, um, you know, I'm not asking you to give the whole thing, but what were you able to present on this year and, and share uh, with participants at the summit?
4: Yeah, you know, I've I've, pres- I've uh, given a presentation every year since 2013. It's traditionally uh, a recap of my road trip travels from the season. Every year going into this presentation, I'm like super nervous and edgy uh, because I, you know, usually make jokes and try to make it funny, and I'm, you know, you're just up there in front of hundreds of people. And, uh, you know, you don't want to bomb or say something that you're going to be embarrassed about later or what have you. So it's always a nerve wracking experience for me, but it usually goes pretty well. And this year it was so very surreal. On one hand, it felt very similar to like just how edgy I was uh, in giving my presentation. But this year I was in my living room, um, you know, talking to a computer in an empty room. And that was a very strange uh, way to do it. And of course, I didn't travel this year because there was no minor league baseball, but I did provide a highlight. Highlights of just all the things I covered this year. I provided highlights of road trips past. I had some kind of comedic elements such as, uh, you know, shirts that teams could have sold but didn't related to the 2020 season. You know, those snarky and sarcastic t-shirts like the Durham Bulls, this is some bull shirt. I came up with a whole bunch of other shirts that teams, uh, you know, could have sold in 2020 and didn't. So it was fun to kind of, you know, uh, work those comedic muscles a little bit and try to come up with some good jokes and some good visuals to go along with it. And uh, all things considered, I think it went pretty well. I'm really glad it's over. And and, uh, yeah, then I also, from that part of my transition, then I transitioned, uh, I changed clothes very quickly, put on a suit and tie, and then uh, hosted or emceed the Golden Bobblehead Award presentation. So it was like two presentations in one for me and a uh, very strange day yesterday. It was uh, a lot of stress and pretty fun and I'm glad it's over.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure that was like a hectic day. We were talking off air about just everything that goes into that. And um, I can only imagine that the stress level is even a little bit more, um, you know, when you have to show it off in your own apartment and make that work. But uh, take us through the golden bobbleheads, because normally the golden bobbleheads are, hey, share a promo of what worked in the 2020 season to bring people to your stadium. And as we know, there was no season there. People weren't trying to bring people to the stadium for baseball games, but lots happened with minor league teams in terms of promoting themselves, promoting the community, doing good work in the community. Um, and also being a place to you know congregate and get people together safely um, and make the most of what would have been a lost year. So what stood out to you about the golden bobbleheads and who came out with the big awards this year?
4: Yeah, well, usually there's a uh, six, um, Categories for the Golden Bobbleheads, which is awarded to the you know the best. Um, it's a peer-voted process awarded the best promotions in all minor league baseball. Uh, so three of the six categories had to be eliminated in 2020 because they involved you know things related to game day presentation, game day events, theme nights, and things such as that. But there were still three Golden Bobbleheads given out. Whether well, Bob uh, given out in three categories: best digital campaign or activation, best non-game day event, and best community promotion or event. And of those three then a best overall award. So the Charleston River Dogs won one for uh, best digital campaign or activation award. Uh, Charleston River Dogs here for the holy city hashtag here for HC a community uh, campaign. Uh, then the Pensacola Blue Wahoos won for the best non-game day event award. The of course the Blue Wahoo Stadium Airbnb. For best community promotion or event golden bobblehead it was the el paso chihuahuas chihuahuas volunteer pack and uh you can go to uh innovators dot com and uh, you know check out all these awards all these nominations more information about them if you're curious to see you know what won and how and why and then overall best overall golden bobblehead promotion award winner the big kahuna the big cheese went to of course the pensacola blue wahoos uh, stadium airbnb that was voted the best promotion of 2020 and perhaps not surprisingly it went viral Um, and people listening are probably already have heard about this multiple times but the pensacola blue wahoos in the absence of a season converted their ballpark to a airbnb that could be rented uh, throughout the season and can continue to be rented and uh, the blue wahoos have the same ownership and quinn studer uh, that's also building the new ballpark in beloit wisconsin and Beloit has already said in their new ballpark it will have an Airbnb just from day one as, a, you know, part of the ballpark itself. So, who knows? You know, good ideas spread in ballpark Airbnbs. As absurd as it sounded this year, might just be
1: a more and more standard operating procedure going forward. I mean, just think about, like, Toronto. Toronto has the hotel that always faced that, and that, I think that's a bucket list item for a lot of people. Now, minor league stadiums, it could become a big thing. Um, stay within the stadium and and make that work. And uh, we'll, we'll end on this one, Ben, kind of speaking of that in terms of what ideas from this year could carry forward. I mean, the whole point of the innovator summit is to get everybody together, share ideas, share what worked, what didn't, and and pivot to 2021, 2021 is going to be a very different year for many reasons. um, But not, not only of which is that they're coming off a year in which they did not have much revenue. Uh, it's going to be even more incumbent on teams to get as many people out to the ballpark as they can, if it is safe to do so. Hopefully we're all in a place where we can gather around by the thousands and stadiums again next spring and summer. But, uh, you know, in your sit-ins on, on conversations and some of your conversations with other people in the industry, uh, what were the, the biggest takeaways about this Innovator Summit and how teams are going to make it work for 2021?
4: Well, I think a lot of the innovator summit was sort of, uh, you know, commiseration and, uh, you know, catharsis and commiseration just because it was, this is obviously like a lot of industry has been a very tough one to, uh, uh, to work in this year. And uh, there were, you know, furloughs and layoffs. So a lot of it is people trying to get, get back in and teams getting back on their feet and rehiring and getting people back into the fold. So that's a big theme right now, and kind of building back up for hopefully as normal as 2021 as possible. And I think you know a big takeaway and a big theme, and you know something we've talked about in the past, is that I think a lot of teams you know who are forced into becoming more of an events company in 2020, uh, thinking of more ways to to have revenue uh, in terms of merchandise that can be sold, in terms of curbside concessions. I just think a lot of the um, you know necessity is the mother of invention. It's a big cliche, but I think the necessity of 2020 for teams to think, you know, quote unquote, outside the box in ways to bring fans to the ballpark safely and things they could sell and bringing operations of their um, game day experience to fans at home in various ways. I think that will continue in 2021, even if it's as normal as possible, uh, you know, as teams become more and more event. And this is a trend we've seen with new ballparks anyway, but, you know, having as many events as possible, thinking of ways to use the ballpark day in and day out um you know whether it's a game day or not to bring people there you know expanding staff hopefully in many ways to accommodate that and uh you know thinking about things like movie nights and uh you know on the field disc golf courses or mini golf and uh and all the you know character uh uh, character cruises in the uh in the parking lots with disney characters or whatever it may be just thinking all year long about doing the things that happened in 2020 uh, hopefully being able to do them better in two thousand and twenty one and also by the way, having a normal minor league baseball season fingers crossed
1: yeah no the the more ideas, the better i think for for two thousand and twenty one so it, that's the the great thing about this is getting everybody together in, in a virtual space this year and, and sharing ideas and um, hopefully it makes the entire industry all the stronger uh, coming off the, this weakening year uh, for it across the board. But um, Ben, I, I think you've talked enough in, into your laptop the last two days. So we'll, we'll leave it there. But thanks a bunch for joining us, coming off the Innovators Summit, and uh, we'll catch you again next week. Sounds good. And uh, now let's uh, end this segment and then gossip about Tyler. I mean, we always do, even when he's here to his yes, face. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Sir.
0: We continue along uh, with our Hispanic Heritage Month coverage uh, this month on MILP.com and time to uh, check in with one of our writers for our minor league writer spotlight this week. Gerard Gilberto joins the show. He's got a great profile up on uh, a guy, a a manager, maybe a, a rising star in the managerial ranks in the Chicago White Sox organization. Gerard, what's going on?
2: Hey, what's going on, Sam? Just, uh, you know, watching the, this eight hours of baseball today. <laughs> <should I say. laughs> it's
0: fantastic, right? It's uh, yeah, it's, yeah, been yeah. A, it's been a loaded day. Um, well, one of the teams that was in action today, the Chicago White Sox, we're recording this on Wednesday the 30th, uh, is the uh, now parent organization of a, a guy named Guillermo Quiroz, who uh, baseball fans may remember had a very lengthy professional career here in the U.S., major league level, minor league level. Uh, he has represented his country. He's a native of Venezuela. He also now is a, uh, getting into the managerial game and he has been all over the place he's one of those guys who may not be a household name but it seems like he's done basically everything you can do in the game of baseball already and now he's just getting started on this coaching side to his career tell us about his road kind of getting in with the white Sox, getting started um especially you know just coming out of a playing career that ended only a few years ago
2: yeah so his uh his start there um a guest on the show very recently uh Came from Chris Getz, and um, it, it was something that he kind of saw coming toward the end of his career. And it's uh, it's important to note that he was a catcher um, for seventeen always. years. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And those are always the guys uh, that get the manager jobs. And uh, he he said he kind of saw it coming. Um, he could tell. He, he told the story that I, I wrote about in the the piece there um, about his his last year in the minors he was actually a triple a with the indians in columbus and he said there's a a a few current major leaguers on that team he mentioned jesus aguilar i believe gio urshela was on that team as well and uh this was 2016 and he kind of got the sense then that like i'm the older guy i'm you know they rag on me they give me a hard time but you know I, i i i like helping people out and i like you know working with these younger guys and he and he you know he his background is so deep in baseball. He's, you know, been playing on an international stage since he was a very young child. Um, we'll get into that in a second, I guess, but uh, that he wanted to stay in baseball. And and this is really, he, he, I met, I call him a baseball wifer, which is something, you know, you just hear all the time. But, you know, you hear about Terry Collins, guys like that. Uh, and he's he's certainly in the thick of it right now. As far as being a baseball lifer is concerned, and uh, yeah, he wanted to stay in the game, and he knew uh, he knew where he was at in his playing career, and yeah, he made it happen.
1: Yeah, and, and let's get into a little bit of what makes this a, a baseball lifer. Uh, Kiro's, you know, talked to you about when he was ten, he went to Japan to represent Venezuela in a tournament there. He got to play in the Little League World Series um, alongside Yusmero Petit, which is pretty cool. Uh, they defeated a team from Northridge, California that included Matt Castle. So like there's a connection there goes on, you know, to, to a big league career wins a world series in a way he was on the bench. He wasn't really on the wor- world series roster for the giants. We we touched on some of the other organizations he was in, um, you know, the Mariners, the Red Sox, the Indians, as you said, the blue Jays, the Mariners, the Rangers, the Orioles. Uh, what do all these little experiences starting out from when he was 10 you know, getting on the international stage and then coming up through so so many different organizations, being at the absolute height, getting to watch Pablo Sandoval catch the last out of a World Series right in front of him. Um, you know, What does he take from all those experiences and put into a coaching career now as he was just about to get going at Class A Kannapolis?
2: Yeah, so uh, he talked a lot about his playing days when he talked about his uh, coaching philosophies because – uh, as, as we mentioned, you know, he, he was on a World Series roster, but he didn't get to play. Those guys don't just sit there, you know. He, he talked about him and Buster Posey lived in the video room together when, when you know, when he was on the, the Giants. Uh, earlier, you know, before he got to the Giants, later in his career, played with Greg Zone and and it would just be pouring over scouting reports and again, watching video, watching video, watching video. And even he now this some of this uh, extra information called advanced analytics or whatever it is. It's fairly new to him, not new, you know, in terms of concept, but new in terms of uh, how he's using it. Um, it's it's con- just a matter of considering all information. But he calls upon lessons he learns from these guys that he, he mentioned uh, that he played with and that, you know, were sort of mentors to him when he was in that position. Uh, you know, Greg Zahn was a guy he mentioned up front. Uh, uh, Don Wakamatsu, th- those guys and some of his old, not just teammates, but his coaches, too. So being able to draw on all this experience is basically just, you know, built up a library uh, for him, and it, it just this you know huge depth of knowledge that um, he's able to provide for for the, the players he has now. And uh, I don't know if we, we mentioned this before, but uh, it, he was going to be in the in the Sally League this year. So this was he started in Winston Salem, and then he went up to Charlotte. So now he's going to be working with younger guys than he's ever actually worked with but he probably hasn't you know been on a team with a, eight, a 18 year old really like you could get a a kid that young in the Sally league for a while um so this is a, a new uh thing for him but yeah it, it's it's a matter of not recalling but but using everything that he's ever learned and putting it toward this uh, uh not just development but he talked a lot about um, uh, developing a winning attitude as well. Um, when we, we talked, we talked about the fact that he came into a position where he wasn't just, you know, working with some guys. There was, you know, there was Lewis Robert on that team. There was Nick Madrigal on that team, Dane Dunning on that team in Charlotte last year. And, you know, I, I know he's technically the hitting coach and the bench coach, but his catcher background means he worked with the pitchers a lot. So, it's like having to do double duty um, as a hitting coach. So he got to work with these guys that are not just prospects, but they're sort of the cream of the crop and and what the game can provide here, I, which I hope people notice. We've been talking about the White Sox. You guys have been talking about the White Sox on this podcast for like four or last six weeks. like they've Yeah, it, it seems been. like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's it was a unique situation to come into. Um, but you know he wasn't the guy running the show then he was really looking forward to you know being the guy this year he talked about uh how in, in the spring he got to run some interest squad games and it was like one of the happiest moments of his life cuz he got to see like this is my team i'm putting a team on the field this is I'm the guy today and that was something he was really looking forward to but then of course 2020 and uh he still got it to look forward to <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and you notice yeah. you note this in the piece that um, he's been kind of in charge of like 15 guys who would have been with him in Kannapolis, uh during the summer, checking in with them and doing that. One thing I want to bring up quickly, too, um, is one of my favorite graphs in here is you it starts with a quote from him in which he says i played in towns that i never heard of in my life i'm being honest i never dreamed of going to those cities or countries and then you kind of list some of these places that he went to he played in jackson uh when the generals were the west tennessee diamond jacks played for fresno he played for san antonio he played for the queen's kings and new haven ravens who don't exist anymore uh which tells you how long his career goes back and two other now defunct minor league teams as well um What did that road kind of teach him not only about what he was as a player, not only as what he was as somebody getting used to the country and and visiting new places, but eventually to become a manager of these young guys, there are going to be a lot of guys he's going to be managing potentially next year who have never heard of Kannapolis before in their life, never mind other South Atlantic League towns. So what did that route kind of do for him through the minors to set him up for this managerial job?
2: Yeah, um, so we talked about a little bit was the uh, the the marketing stuff uh, that goes into being a ball player in the town, and he he said that he always leaned into it. He he always loved it, you know. Whether he talked to the kids, you, you go be an ambassador for the team, and it really doesn't matter where you are, um, you know, because the same thing is expected of you wherever you go. Now we both had a laugh because he said, you know, when I got drafted, I, I got assigned. Not, uh, I'm sorry. When I signed, I got assigned to uh, Medicine Hat. I didn't even know that was a place, and I didn't either. So personally, <laughs> Queens Kings—I I live up the block from you know St. John, so I knew about the Queens Kings when I was younger. But you know, Medicine Hat—that's a thats going to take a long time. That's going to be on someone's Sporkle quiz as a, a very <laughs> tough answer to, to get. Um, but yeah, there's these places he said like I didn't—I didn't even know this was a place. But and, you know, whether or not I was going somewhere i'm familiar with i the adjustment is the same that every not just ball player but you know especially even harder from the venezuelan guys and the, and the latin american guys are uh you know learning a new language cooking for yourself for the person he says mother always always took care of him you know when he was growing up and now he's got to do his own laundry he's got to cook for himself he's got to uh you know do all these other things and another uh, adjustment and the latin american from the latin american guys we talked about this with my last Kiro's story, I don't—I don't know if you guys have noticed. I've done back-to-back
0: yeah. stories about
2: dudes named Yeah, Kiroz, yeah. Uh, our Kieros <laughs> correspondent.
1: Just a example.
2: So they said the same thing. Like that's not a thing to like be twenty-four-seven ball players. It's like you go, you have your practice days, and then you have your game days. Like it, it was new to wake up in the morning and basically have a full practice, hang around in the afternoon, get ready to play a game, play the game, go home, and then do it again the next day. So that's an adjustment that everybody has to make. Um, And obviously, oh, Stanton just murdered a baseball. Obviously, these things are, are, you know, difficult on their own. Now, it's not like, I don't want to disparage the the fine people of Alberta, but it's not, you know, you go to Queens, you could probably find something where it'd be a little more familiar, or, or if you you need something. There's probably more resources available. You know, Jackson and and medicine had, maybe not. Um, so it's just another thing to add to the list. I I asked him if he could remember every team he played for, he said, definitely not, but I definitely remember the years. And I could say I was with like, you know, uh, Toronto's a ball team or something like that. I couldn't say the name of the actual team. Um, (laughs) but, uh, you know, what though he, again, he could be his own sporkle quiz he, he's he's been around it's a tough uh it's a lengthy baseball reference page um and and he was he really enjoyed it and obviously this year was the first year of the cannonballers right am i, am I remembering that correct right. yes yeah. right yep. they were the intimidators for all these years and he was going to be the guy that you know this small town was relying on for a lot of uh you know promotion of this new name and and this new identity and uh, they were lucky to have a guy who's sort of been through it, you know, that sort of knows the deal, <laughs> you know, that knows that this is as much a uh, you have to sell yourself to the town as uh, more often than I'd say the average major league.
0: We are uh player pages at MILB.com list for each team that a player was with. There's a, a line break year after year on, uh, on the stats part of that page and I would imagine there are not many guys who have a longer list of uh team after team line breaks than uh the illustrious career of Guillermo Quiroz and the crazy thing about it is he's still not even 40 he's 38 years old and he's done all this uh got into pro ball in 1999 amazing
2: yeah he was he was hot stuff back in the day too we had him ranked um because I remember seeing an article from last year uh that Jim Callis or uh like the most hyped catching prospects from each team in the last, I guess it was, ever. Um, and he was the number 20 overall prospect back huh. in the day. Um, he was, you know, he he was signed, uh, obviously, with a lot of regard. And, yeah, it, it, this was a guy that, <laughs> obviously, lasting 17 years is, is incredibly difficult to do in, in, the major, in professional baseball.
0: Well, it's a great story. It is up on the site right now. You can check it out at MILB.com. Gerard, you can find it on Twitter at Gerard underscore Gilberto. And uh, great stuff, man, as always. This is a really fascinating story. And these are such good guys to for us to profile because it just kind of – it takes you into that area of baseball where somebody's in it, they want to be in it, they want to be in it forever, and there's something magnetic about those guys. And This is a, another great piece. Nice work, man.
2: Yeah. I mean, this was a, this was a fun one to write. Everybody loved them that I, that I talked to. I've never, I tweeted this out. So I don't want to repeat my joke, but shameless, whatever. Uh, This was the most amount of responses I've gotten where I've like reached out to somebody about an interview and told them what the story was about. this is the most amount of times I've had someone respond with, let me know when that's up. I love gear. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Those are so cool. And it's got everything to do with it. I know. These people don't know me, so it was all about the animal that they were looking forward to reading about. <laughs> Great stuff, man! Thanks, Gerard. Of course,
0: last segment of this week's episode of the show. Big thanks to Ben, big thanks to Gerard, and uh, we will say goodbye here momentarily, but not before Sam Dykstra brings you our nationwide prospect fun fact.
1: Yeah, so the. Nationwide prospect, fun fact this week. I have to give two hat tips on this one. One to Derek Gould, uh, Cardinals beat writer of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, who passed on a fact that he got from uh, Chris Toneau of the Cardinals. I'm, I don't know if it's Tuno to or Toneau. Apologies to Chris if I'm getting that wrong. But anyways, this is a big research point on somebody who was picked from my team uh, in the first segment there about Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson is the third Cardinals player aged 21 or younger. Back cleanup for the team in a playoff game. Tyler, can you name the other two? I bet you can. Okay. Don't think. One, too more, one more time. Tell me. Dylan can Carlson me? is the third Cardinals player, age 21 or younger, to back cleanup for the team in a playoff game. And you name the other two. Albert Pools. Correct.
0: And.
1: Ooh. You're thinking too hard already.
0: Yeah, I probably am, aren't I? Yes. Uh, Yadier Molina.
1: No. Mm. Give you one more guess. I'm gonna be really disappointed in you. You can hear it in my voice right now.
0: Yeah, I know. I can already. I'm like, is it Ozzy Smith? Is it? uh, uh, um, Now I'm so on the spot. I don't know. Tyler, give me one hint. Man. Well, I know he's a man, Sam.
1: There are people screaming into their listening device. Yeah,
0: I know. I'm at the end of a very long
1: day. Yeah, that's true. All right, I'll give it to you. Uh, Albert Pools is correct. Albert Pools. Well, you said Albert Pools. It wasn't Albert Pools.
0: <laughs> Dang it, it. I was going to just try to jump in when you said it as though I had just thought of it, but then you were saying Albert Pools, the one I already said.
1: No, it was Albert Pools in 2001 and Stan Wait, give me Musial. The
0: oh, Stan Musial. Yeah. That was an, that was an easy one.
1: Sure. I gave you the clue. The clue was man. Stan Stand the, the man. man. You should have said the man. I, I said what I said, and you still missed it. Don't, don't be blaming me. Uh, Stan Musial a, in 1942.
0: Had a very long day. I am Michael Scott when he uh, deals with Mr. Figaro. That's, that's me. Uh, you're not Mr. Figaro. Thank um, you. Thank you for clarifying. Stan, Stan the man and uh, and Albert Pujols.
1: And now Dylan Carlson. And I mean, now Dylan a, Carlson. That's it a went, pretty illustrious list.
0: And went uh, reaching his first four plate appearances today before we – hopped on to record this. I did not see if he got one more. But, he did not.
1: Uh, he, he finished two for three with two walks.
0: Pretty solid day. Pretty solid day. Um, yeah, it's uh my my best friend from college, diehard San Diego Padres fan. Last time the Padres were in the playoffs, 2006, he and two of our other friends from the, the club baseball team at our school drove down to St. Louis uh, to catch, uh, I think, two NLDS games. Padres got swept. He texted me today and said, I'm just terrified they're going to get swept by the Cardinals again. And man, that first
1: inning did not put him in a good mood. Oh, no, no, that's too bad. Cause like they, and it's going to come down to injuries, unfortunately with them, you know, they made a, a big gamble at, at the deadline. It wasn't even really that much of a gamble, but picking up Mike Clevenger and him getting hurt to Nelson Lamette, who's been,
0: yeah. Watch his
1: stuff in the minors. You always thought he could be somebody, but he was never really like a top 100 prospect, but has turned it into one of the best pitchers in the game and, and he's out for the, uh, the wild card series as well. So then they go to Chris Paddock, who was their ace last year, but um, got shelled there today. And now they're up against elimination uh, already for the San Diego Padres.
0: So enjoy uh, this insane week of playoff baseball. And uh, we will be back next week to talk about that and more with you. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mott. We'll talk to you then.